The Office of Personnel Management finally has permanent leadership after a years-long revolving door of acting directors. Kiran Ahuja is a month or two into that job. She says rebuilding the federal workforce and OPM internally. Those are her biggest priorities. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco joins me now with what else is on Ahuja's to-do list. And, Nicole, let's begin with that rebuilding of the federal workforce. That's kind of a lot to bite off. It is a lot to take on, and Ahuja acknowledged that. She spoke with the press for the first time since being confirmed as OPM director. And so what rebuilding entails, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of things. For one, she talked about trying to build the federal government as a model employer, and that involves a lot as well. So, for example, you know, she talked about the federal government having a history as providing a pathway to the middle class. So providing a good salary, good benefits, both health and retirement. But she also talked about, and this is, I think, a trend that we're seeing because of the pandemic, an employer that acknowledges having a good work-life balance, having childcare benefits, having other kinds of, of benefits in your job to be able to, to do it well, but to also balance your, your home and family needs. And so that's, that's a priority for her. She also talked about building the federal government as a model employer so that younger people want to come work for these agencies. And she acknowledged that's going to be a tough task, especially getting them into federal internships, into pathways through the federal government. So that's another area as well. I I was particularly interested in, though, this idea that she talked about as as a a well-rounded model employer. Here's Ahuja explaining that a little more. You know, frankly, really positioning the federal government as the model employer and the kinds of ways that we can have the impact, you know, kind of the ripple effect that we that I hope that we can have across many sectors. And so that is looking at, uh, you know, the whole sets of benefits that come with employment. Again, it's not just salary. I think workers are attracted to to their jobs for many reasons. And so we're thinking about the whole package from childcare to competitive health and retirement benefits. I can almost see the white picket fence and milk box out front of the uh, homes that the federal workers will be in. And Nicole, how does Ahuja see the role of OPM itself? So she acknowledged, Tom, that, you know, OPM has been through a difficult time in recent years. She acknowledged the merger, uh, the merger proposal with the General Services Administration. She briefly touched on the fact that OPM lost its security clearance business to the Defense Department in recent years. And then that's really upended the agency, what it does, the leaders who are there. And I think the first priority for her is simply being there. And she acknowledged that that is kind of a feat itself. She said she'll be in this job as long as people will have her. Of course, in previous administrations, that has not always been long with past OPM directors. And so I think she's hopeful that she'll be there long enough to make an impact. And I think what's really key, we've covered the National Academy of Public Administration report on OPM, which really envisioned the agency as the number one personnel leader. And Ahuja sees that as well. The only place that I wanted to be if I had the privilege and opportunity to do so was to be able to serve in this agency. And that is to ensure that this agency is positioned as the strategic human capital leader across the federal government. There is no way in the world, in my opinion, of all the things that we need to achieve to serve the the American people, if we do not ensure that we have the right people in the right positions. 
and that more than ever, we have realized that people are our biggest asset. And that's Kieran Ahuja, the newly installed director, permanent director of OPM. We were speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, and I guess this was interesting because you attended or tuned in to her first real presentation to the press, and so this is the first time there's been a permanent director, as you point out, in many years, speaking in this manner. What other priorities did she lay out, Nicole? So she said that she has a agenda, and this is an agenda she's still developing. She has only been there about a a month or so. One that's mixed with regulatory proposals and legislative proposals. And I asked her, what do you envision? Are you leading more on the legislative side or the regulatory side? And she said, for right now, we're leaning more regulatory. And that's only because she's so new to the job. She's not writing off legislative proposals at this point and suggested that we'll see more of them soon. But I think this is an important to note, Tom, because some of the past permanent OPM directors who have come on board have really laid out a very ambitious legislative agenda, you know, one that tackles veterans preference, overhauling federal hiring. And it's not that she's not interested in that. It's just that I think at this moment in time, with the pandemic still here, with OPM needing to really provide a lot of guidance on telework, remote work, and encouraging agencies to embrace that, that is sort of the top of mind item on the to-do list. We also brought up retirement services, which has really been a struggle for OPM for the past, as long as I've been covering this, I think as long as you've been covering this. And so she acknowledged there's a lot of work to do there. She said that part of the problem is that there hasn't been devoted leadership attention to retirement services. She said there hasn't been a strategic plan to update it since 2012 and that she plans to put one together. And she also talked about a couple of other small wins that they're hoping to take on. She named, for example, bringing on a new contact center for retirement services. She talked about piloting an online retirement application, which would be huge. That's not something we've heard before. Revolutionary, really. Yeah. And she also mentioned that she's gotten some advice from other OPM directors as well. I will say that, you know, I had a lot of engagement with prior OPM directors. And the one thing that sits with me is Linda Springer telling me when she tackled retirement services and tried to do the whole kit and caboodle, she was like, don't do it. (laughs) She's like, be incremental, get your successes, build off of that. Wow. So her priorities then to summarize seem to be to stabilize the agency and its presence and then make some incremental improvements on the crucial areas like telework and that retirement backlog. I think that's accurate, Tom. And, you know, another thing I would say to the stabilization of OPM, you know, she acknowledged that there have been staff members that have left the agency. The agency has lost institutional knowledge. And so they need to rehire more people to OPM, especially if they're going to tackle some of these challenges and priorities that she wants to. She says that she's also trying to, you know, present information to the OPM workforce as soon as possible, be upfront with them about what's going on. She says she's going to have listening sessions with the employees soon and is trying to hold town halls. And of course, Uhuja has been at OPM before, and she sees that as a benefit. She already has some established relationships with employees there and and hopes that that is a benefit as well. Well, we'll see what happens on her first snow day. (laughs) Right. All right. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Be sure to check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. 
Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. Um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me. And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was 
it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, 
we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.